0: Hello, and welcome to On Staging, a community theater-focused discussion podcast highlighting the development and staging of community theater productions in Calgary and surrounding area. In 1920, author H.C. McNeil created a fictional gentleman adventurer, Bulldog Drummond, for the eponymous novel in England. Bulldog Drummond, First World War veteran and gentleman adventurer, went on to appear in ten subsequent novels by McNeil until his passing in 1938, and then an additional nine other novels by two other authors. Bulldog Drummond was so popular as a novel that there was a 1921 staging of the first book that ran 428 performances, and there have been three other theatrical stagings of the character and the work. Ron E. House is better known as an actor than as a writer. Born in 1939, in 1974, he wrote, in quotation marks, and I'll get to that in a moment, and starred in Bullshot Crummond, the parody stage play based on the works of H.C. McNeil. Clive Barnes. With the New York Times, on October 30th, 1974, said of the play that it "...hardly knows whether it is worth mentioning, but over the last few years, triviality has crept up on us as an art form. Bullshot Crummond, which opened last night at Theatre Four, is termed a satiric reminder. A reminder it may be, satiric it is not. He says it is jokey, whimsical, and above all trivial." The reviewer is not sure that he means this is entirely to its detriment. He laughed quite a lot at this attempt to make fun of the sophomoric but well-meaning insignificance. It did have its funny moments and employed a certain amount of ingenuity in its staging, especially with flying stuffed birds. Yet the reviewer found himself wondering how it would feel if he had actually had to pay for his ticket, which was $8.50 each. The reviewer decided he would have felt depressed. That's the review from 1974. The play Bullshot Crummond is principally credited to Ron E. House, but the play appears to be a collective effort of House's group Low Moan Spectacular, which I think is a terrific and terrible name all on its own. And there was no director of that first staging which I think is interesting in this, uh, this common day and age. But nonetheless, in this initial pro- production, there were only five performers. Ron House as the German villain Otto von Bruno, Louisa Hart as Lenya, Diz White as Rosemary Fenton, Alan Shearman as Bullshot himself, and then John Neville Andrews as all of the other characters. It's the only other time that I can tell that Bullshot Crummond has been performed in Calgary and surrounding area was June 4th, 1982, as part of Theatre Calgary's Midnight series. And any review or evidence thereto of that performance is lost to the annals of time and in Theatre Calgary's vaults, because all they have is a run length of the production and a single production shot. In 1985, The film Bullshot was released in the U.S., so fully three years after Theatre Calgary put up the play, Bullshot came out, even though it was actually released in 1983 in the U.K., and it starred three of the members of Low Moan Spectacular. Reviews were mixed, with Roger Ebert suggesting that Sherman, House, and White, those three that were from Low Moan Spectacular, had been playing the characters for so long that they were too forgiving of them, and that there isn't a sense of wicked glee lurking beneath the surface of a satirical performance. Ebert gave it 1.5 stars. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 69%. It does have going for it, for those who may have seen the movie, is the very first theatrical wide release for Billy Connolly, who plays the role of Hawkeye McGillicuddy to delightful and amazing effect. And that leads us to now. Dudney Players is putting up Bullshot Crummond, opening October 20th and running through November 4th in Okotoks. Link to tickets can be found in the show notes. Today, I would like to welcome three individuals involved in the production. First, and on my left, your right, is Brad Snowden, two time Cat Award nominee, outstanding direction of a play for Odd Couple, female version from 2014, and Arsenic and Old Lace in 2018, both with Dudney. One time Cat Award nominee, Kelly Kozak, the 2023 outstanding supporting role for Sir Andrew Aguichik with Dudney Players. And five-time Cat Award nominee, Anne-Marie Cotton. 2022 nominee, leading role in a play for Gideon, as well as 2016's nominee for Ensemble in Calendar Girls, and 2012 nominee for Supporting Actress in a Play, Mrs. Darling for the Peter Pan to mime with Morpheus, 2011's leading actress in a play for Cory Bradder for Barefoot in the Park with Dudney Welcome all of you to the show.
1: Hi. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: So... That was a lot to sit and listen to. I apologize for that. But I really wanted to show just the history of this show and how much it exists in a sort of peripheral place that will hopefully make people even more interested and delighted in coming to it because it has a lot going for it. (laughs) And there's a lot of history there. Very old, old history.
1: Gosh, I think there was more there than you even gave us
2: for the history. I can add that... It has been done in local area since 1985, did you say? 1982. 82, because it was done in 1990 in Lethbridge at Round Street Dinner Theater. Wow. Directed by Brad Snowden.
0: <laughs> wow, so, so you've done this So before. I have done
2: this show before 30-some years ago, yes.
0: That's 30 years later. So one thing I haven't talked about at all is... What is Bullshot Crummond all about? I've given us the history of where and when and how it's come about and when it's happened for the most part. What is it about? So Bullshot Crummond, like like you said, he's a detective.
2: He's been hired by Rosemary Fenton, who is the daughter of a professor who has developed the formula for synthetic diamonds. And he has been captured by two villains, Otto and Lenya von Bruno, and they have captured him. They're torturing him, and it's Bullshot Crumman's job to save the day.
3: It sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Madness ensues. I was going to say
1: hijinks, madness. It's all madness. Yes.
2: (laughs) During my research, um, there's a lot of community theater groups that have done this play in the past. And the part that you talked about where he plays five different characters usually what they do is they break that up and they actually cast it as five different people or four different people, three different people. I think it takes away from the humor of the show. So we have cast it as one person playing all five or six, actually. I think it winds up being six characters. So lots of quick costume changes, lots of different characterization that Daniel Rose, who plays the, the that part, uh, has to incur, and also lots of... Uh, fun that he has on stage when he's when he's playing the different characters.
0: Well that's great. And what do the two of you bring to this uh this production? What do you think it's all about?
3: Well for me, um, playing Rosemary is uh it's different it's a different character than I think I've ever played. She's very naive and very old fashioned in her way of thinking, which, you know, at this day and age just is comical in itself to see those kinds of beliefs and kind of that social stigma, seeing that played out in today's day and age. She's very much the helpless female character. Um, And the entire show is just so physical. It's a lot of physical comedy. Timing is everything in this show. There's just so many factors to be worked through as far as just the physical timing of everything and like in, in, in Dan Rose's situation, he does multiple accents. And probably the biggest challenge that I have being in this cast is staying in character. Because there's quite a lot of liberty, I think, that Brad lets us have as actors on stage. And sometimes we get to ad lib and and do things that are slightly off script, um, which have just kind of worked out to be great additions to, to the show as well. So when somebody does something completely unexpected, and it's just so funny. Half the time, I'm trying to stay in character from not laughing at my fellow castmates, but the other half of the time, I'm trying not to break character because I hear Brad just laughing, watching all of this unfold <laughs> during rehearsals, and it makes it such a fun experience as an actor. It's just fun to play a role in a show that you really enjoy, mm-hmm. but to also have this much fun with it is just kind of a dream.
0: Absolutely. What is this show about for you, Anne-Marie?
3: I get to revive
1: a previous character, actually, that I played before when Dooney did 39 Steps. is some years ago now, 2016 or something. That sounds right. The director then, Tracy, and Brad was in it. He was uh, one of the leads in that one. And Tracy had added these two characters called Shadows. And it was, we were dressed completely head to toe in like a black morph suit so like just spandex with spandex hood and then we were doing things like scene changes or moving actors on tables or whatever across the stage sometimes we were furniture doors windows whatever and then brad had the same idea and called Tracy, "Uh, can I steal your characters there? (laughs) And then when he told me and he's like, do you wanna be a shadow? I was like, yeah, I do. That's gonna be awesome. So (laughs) um, I don't have a counterpart in this one. It's just me being the shadow by myself, but it's so much fun interacting with these guys because she's laughing on stage and I'm like, I'm gonna have a cover on my face. I don't have to worry about anyone seeing what I'm doing. So there's no lines. I have no lines, but I'm interacting with everybody Mm -hmm. at some point, either, you know, uh, handing them things. Sometimes the actors acknowledge that I'm there and sometimes it's like I'm not there at all. So that's a whole interesting thing to be able to play and just kind of figure out how can I make the shadow be something, even though it's kind of, quote unquote, nothing Right, but it's I. We're having such a great time being able to, like Brad said, he like he lets us do kind of whatever, <laughs> and then says maybe you shouldn't do that or no, do that but more, make it bigger or whatever. So working with somebody who's like yeah, just helping to direct that energy and that's such a great place to be. Like when you're on stage, right, you get mm-hmm. to play more. And be able to create this whole show with everybody. It's awesome.
0: How did Dude Knee come to Bullshot Crummond? Did you bring that to Dude Knee or what happened there?
2: So what happened was I was supposed to direct Faulty Towers. Correct. And then the pandemic hit. So that got put on hold. And then when we sort of came out of the pandemic and everybody could sort of get together again, we couldn't get the rights to... Faulty Towers. So the board said to me, Is there anything else you want to direct? So I went home and searched through all my scripts and I found this copy of Bullshot Crummond with all my director's notes in it. And I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. I'll give it a read because I don't really remember too much about it, except for I remember it was humorous. So I reread it and I thought, Wow, this will work good for the RPAC stage because the RPAC stage is small. Right. And there's not much back room. So I thought it'll work for the RPAC stage. It'll be great for Okotoks. It's something that is light, funny, doesn't have a message per se, but it's for somebody to get away for two hours, to forget about the outside world and just have a good laugh.
0: So this was before the pandemic that you'd talked with Dudney about directing Faulty Towers. Correct. And so when was it that you went home and went through your scripts to find Bullshot? <sighs>
2: Because we, we were going to order scripts for Faulty Towers. Right. So it was coming out of the pandemic. So that would have been about, I want to say- Are we even out ago? of the
0: pandemic? I don't even know. Yeah. So about a kinda, year ago?
2: Yeah, about a year ago. And then Ed Sands, who's uh, on the board, he said, we can't get the rights anymore. We we can't do Faulty Towers. And right. I said, oh, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> so, <laughs> so he goes, well, is there anything else you want
0: to direct? And- Was that in a phone call, a- in person that face-to-face was in face meeting.
2: Our Zoom calls that we had at that <laughs> time. So cause I was on the board probably three years ago and right during the pandemic. So all of our call or all of our meetings went to Zoom meetings. Right. And so we got very good at communicating through Zoom meetings. So that's how I got the information was through a Zoom call that we can't do it. Is there anything else you want to direct? So right, I went home. You Stars. were already home. I was already home. Yeah, yeah, so I guess I didn't go home.
0: And so you think that's about a year ago,
2: maybe even longer year year and a half ago, I would say. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So
0: then, did you start putting together a production team at that time? Did you, or did you rely and lean on more on Dudney to get that those people put together for you?
2: Relied a lot on dudney because we have a core group of people that that are always costume, always. We have a select few stage managers. Lighting design is usually the director and the stage manager together. We sort of put something together and then talk to the RPAC when we get into the right. the venue. We really only have three producers in Doodney. Um, so so Jane was available. Um, so Jane Platt, she's the producer. We just started going from there.
0: Great. So you started thinking, and you and Doodney worked together to put together the producer, Jane, get your yep. stage manager together. Was there a production meeting before you did casting?
2: I met with Jane um, we didn't have a stage manager at that point. We were looking. And then I got together. I just talked to the board and said, I'd like to do auditions at this time. And uh, and when did that happen? June. So it was quite a while ago. Wow. Yeah. End of, end of June is when we had auditions. And okay. then I had it cast by, I want to say the first week of July.
0: Well, that's awesome. How many days were auditions though?
2: Auditions were... Three days and then I had callbacks. Oh wow! So probably over two weeks. That's was intense. The, was the entire? Um,
0: was it just w- w- you or was Jane there as well? Who Jane else was, was there on auditions.
2: Yeah, myself and Jane.
0: Okay, and you had lots of people. It seemed like there was a really good number of people coming out for auditions.
2: I was actually really surprised at how many people we got out for auditions. It's hit and miss in Okotoks, right? And coming out of a pandemic, that was my first go at actually directing since the pandemic. I've been in two shows, um, serial vendors for Dudney and also Twelfth Night. Um, So I'm not sure how many people actually auditioned for those shows, but we had quite a number show up, including some new people, which is always awesome. That's amazing. Awesome to see
0: so funny i've talked to frc i've talked to swamp donkey all different community theater companies in the area all of them have had much larger numbers in auditions than they were expecting Mm -hmm. uh, coming out of the pandemic like we're talking for swamp donkey 50 percent more people than they expected to get and even frc got more people than they thought they would so to see you guys also getting more people that kind of fits into alignment with people want to get back out on stage again the ones that that are hungry for it are really hungry for it but to the same end it sounds as exactly like what's happened with you guys there's not a lot of production people that you're having some trouble making sure that those production roles are filled and you're relying on a set crew and a set cabal that kind of takes those those uh, hats and does them for that show
2: yeah i, I think in dudeney we've always had problems getting the the backstage production crew side of things Yep. We wind up relying on a lot of the same people to do the, the same jobs, which is awesome because, because they're great and they're great at what they do.
0: What they do Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah, what they do me But getting new actors out for, for this was was great to see. We, I bet ya, out of all the people that auditioned, we probably had, I want to say, nine new people that I had never... That's seen awesome. before so.
0: That's wonderful, especially yeah. for a limited show like this that has maybe five performers and a person in a morph suit. Yeah. So <laughs> did Anne Marie were you part of the audition process, or did they talk to you outside of that in regards to this kinda
1: unnamed named character? Brad didn't tell me about the idea of being the shadow until my audition slot. <laughs> <laughs> so when I came in to audition, yeah, I assumed I would read for both the female roles, and then he was like, there. "Yeah." And then Brad was like, "Well, here's the thing."
0: Did he make you do your monologue or no? We did
1: cold. We did cold reads. Okay, even which is better. It, which is my favorite type of audition. I'm just going to put that out there. That's my favorite type of audition is not having to memorize a monologue <laughs> and doing a cold read. So. And then we just kind of chatted about the show itself and what it was about and a little bit about the history of it. And then when he said, there could be a place for some shadows in here. And I was like, really? I love that. I would love to do it again. So so yeah, when he emailed me and said, so... You can either be the stage manager or you can be the shadow. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm going to be the shadow. I'm we sorry. We have not found a stage manager at that point yet. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I know you need a stage manager, but I'd really prefer to be the shadow. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So this production with Dudney marks which number for you of shows you've done with Dudney?
1: Well, that's a very good question, Kyle. Gosh, I think Barefoot in the Park was... My second show, the first show I ever did was a one act with them called The Lady Killer. And that was what did we say, 2012, 2011? Yeah. So I mean, I've been doing stuff with Dudney since then. So right. one or two shows a year. Yeah. Except if, for the the pandemic. Except for the pandemic. So
0: And those years where you were doing Morpheus pantomimes and whatnot too. You might not have done as much Dudney then. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But
0: from my count and it was really hard because the Dudney website is not good about past productions. This is your 15th production with Dudney.
1: Wow, yay me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now that's just from my counting so that might be wrong, but that's what I could determine.
1: So. Wow. Well, you know but you are, right now at this point, you know better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Please correct
0: me when you make go home and figure out the body. I'll,
1: I'll go home and look through all like my playbills and whatever and see if I can I can ascertain how how true that is.
0: <laughs> yes. And then hit me up on Facebook and let me know if I was right or wrong. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. So
0: 15 potentially shows with Doudney over 13 years going on to Our last guest, Kelly, this is how many Doodny shows
3: have you done with them now? This will be by second. Yes. (laughs) So a little bit further behind (laughs) Anne-Marie and Brad. But I had moved here in 2019 Mm -hmm. from the States and then the pandemic hit. Yes. So I was literally doing nothing except acclimating. What did you move here for? My husband... Oh, I'm so sorry for that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he convinced me that Canada is beautiful and amazing, and he is correct, but I was uh, aware of the winters, but nothing can really prepare you until you are four months into it. That's true. And wishing to be out. But I've acclimated now, and I love it here, and I am still waiting for my work visa to come through (laughs) after four and a half years. So I will do anything that duty wants to send my way third tree from the right i'm there (laughs) Um, (laughs) so i was thrilled to audition for this show Uh, i read it before the audition because i had known this was a show they were going to do so inside knowledge yeah i read it and i thought oh this is hilarious like who wouldn't want to come out for the show.
0: So when did you find out about this show before other people found out about this show? Was it during a backstage conversation during Twelfth Night?
3: No, Mm -hmm. actually for our very first table read for Twelfth Night, we were going around the room and just introducing ourselves and that's when Brad said you know, introduced himself and said, oh, I'm also directing Shot Kremend in the fall. Oh, wow, what a power album.
0: play. Well, I was trying to get people out for it. <laughs> hey, by the way, yeah, I'm in this show yeah. with you, but I'm also super powerful. <laughs> Be nice to me yeah. because I will cast you in my show if you're nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No, of course not. No. <laughs> so first read through of Twelfth Night, and then you starred in Twelfth Night as Sir Andrew Aguecheek, and you had a great time. So you came Brilliant back and time. you're doing your second show with, and they didn't ask you to be the stage manager too? No. A note to anyone listening who is a burgeoning stage manager to be. Dudney players is always looking for young people to step into these roles or even old people who would like to learn something new. Stage manager is a very valuable, important, necessary show position, and you get to see the production every single night, which is kind of a cool thing to do because as a theater person myself, every show is different for good or ill. So one of my big questions I always like to ask, and it's about Bullshot Crummond, and that is what? questions do you want the audiences asking themselves after the play is done? What should they walk away with thinking about in forms of questions? How will this show have changed them in some way? Because that is really what, at the end of the day, what theater does. It changes you. That's a good
2: question. And I've kind of thought about this. What would you take away from this show? There's not really a message to the show. I think when you go away and you're having a drink with your friend in in the pub after and you think about how funny it was and you know how people talk about oh do you remember that one scene in that one movie or that one play where these two characters did this and it was so funny. I want people to go away reliving the antics that they've seen in this show. Right. I think that's the big takeaway from the show that I think people are going to get is they're going to go away and maybe laugh Three weeks later, as they think back, oh, that scene was funny, or that bit was funny. There's lots of funny bits in this show. Yes, we, we've we've changed it a a bit because when I first did this show, I tried to make the characters true to life, so they were very believable. The situations were believable, and just the situation and the the writing was the comedy in it. Where this one, I've taken an approach of cartoon. I want it to be more like a cartoon that you're you're watching rather than an actual true-to-life scene, I guess. It's very cartoonish or animated when you see this show. We don't really have a set. It's very much cartoon cutouts and props are very larger than life. I'd like the audience to feel like they're watching a cartoon rather than an actual live show.
0: Everything I saw about it immediately drew me right back to um, Dudley Do-Right and Snidely Whiplash. And it's very interesting how none of the reviews and none of the articles I read about it said anything about these two characters. I know. When Bullshot Crummond is essentially Dudley Do-Right 100% the strongest man out there. In the movie, he wins an eight-person rowing race by himself because the other guys all can't got <laughs> the flu. And he just rows the boat by himself and wins against another team that has full eight people in it. He's just super skilled, super capable, super available, and can do everything right. And yet... Does absolutely nothing right to save the day. Like he always lucks into, and it's always just a random confluence of events that makes him successful in everything that happens, despite the fact that he is the smartest man, the most skillful person, the best shot amongst the bunch.
2: That's right. Hilarious. When I started getting that cartoon idea in my head, that's when I thought of the shadow, because the shadow. Add so much to the cartoon aspect of this show. So I thank Tracy so much for coming up with the idea way back at 39 Steps. And It's and so
0: brilliant too, because it, Lomo it Spectacular, when they put it on, the whole purpose of the fun of the show, when they did it as a play the very first time, was to put a satire on special effects in movies and whatnot. So the first production supposedly had all of these failed or movie things scene-esque sort of things that didn't work and that were really funny and I was like very interested in seeing if you were taking that approach as well from a this is supposed to be a movie set but not it's a live theater performance
2: it's a live theater performance with very exaggerated sound effects who's doing your sound effects it's Patrick who is our stage manager and myself just Google what we say. We want this sound effect. Let's try to find it. Right. And then we just Google and try to find sound effects. So there's... Yep. I have no idea how many sound cues yet because we haven't got to that point, but there's got to be over... There's got to be over a hundred sound cues in this show. Wow. So when did rehearsals start? First week of July. Because it's community theater, and I know people get burned out fast, we decided as a group that we were only going to do two days a week. Oh, okay. So we started really early and went two days a week. Now that we're getting closer to the show and Brad is starting to panic, we've gone to three days a week. That makes sense. And uh, three
0: and a half months. That's a that's a long rehearsal schedule for a play.
2: Yes. But I think we had I had fun anyway. (laughs) Did you have Uh, fun?
0: Yeah. So one of the challenges of it was you gave up your entirety of your summer vacation plans to uh, be in a show
3: this rehearsal process actually feels really short to me um, wow it yeah it feels like it has just gone by so fast and I don't know
2: because I've never done a show with only two days a week rehearsals yeah so this is the first time I've tried this and usually it's three yeah I thought it worked out well I never did give you guys a date to be off book they just We're off book.
0: Do you normally believe in off book dates?
2: I like to give people a goal to shoot for. Oh, okay. Just because if you don't, we're two days from opening and they're still calling for line. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen anyway. Well,
3: I think in this play, it was especially important for us to be off book pretty quickly because it's so physical. Like we needed our hands for things. Other than holding a script, so yeah. I think we kind of just all felt that way. Like you know, what it's so much easier to execute these jokes if we're not You have so much more time on
0: your own if you're only rehearsing two days a week. That third day of the week is now yours to play with as you will to work on your lines and work on those things that you would otherwise be, you know, maybe wasting in a in a rehearsal room. Right. Yeah trying to fight with a line that's not coming to you just yet. It's a very interesting perspective for myself as a director. I don't give off book dates. I don't believe in them. I'm like, your process is yours and it's different from yours. And I'm not going to ascribe to anything. And the funniest thing in the world happens. Everyone's off book two weeks later, like, you're like, oh, right, because I told you there was no off-book date, so everybody's like, that means now. <laughs> Might have to try that. That's a great idea. <laughs> this is like, Feel trap. free to call for lines. The only genuine off-book date I ever said was going to happen is the first show. Like, the first time we go up there, you better not have a script in your hand. And yeah. honestly, <laughs> that's just so that you don't look bad. Like, whatever you do to get off-book, yeah. it's on you to do. I'm just going to try to make you look good while you're up there. And they were like, oh. And then they felt empowered and we're off book right away.
1: (laughs) And then those who are off book that early end up, it makes everyone else feel slightly shamed when they're not off (laughs) book.
0: Yeah, I think that's a personal thing for sure. In that competitive level that comes with all of those things. But I want to go back to the questions because I didn't get to the two of you. You have been Rosemary for the last several months now. From that perspective of that character, what questions are people going to leave the audience with?
3: My hope is the same no matter what character I'm playing, what show it is, is that people just leave inspired. There was a question floating around during the face-to-face arts and culture discussion in Okotoks a couple weeks ago about how does live theater and performance affect the community? And the entire thing I felt was, well, it inspires people. Theater is important because it it, it inspires people. I remember the first time I went to a live show and saw some people on stage performing and was like, yes, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. That's my calling. Mm -hmm. And so many people are in the same situation. They remember going to a a concert and seeing a musician play or going to a play and seeing an actor or going to an art gallery and seeing a piece of fine art. And that one thing said, that's what I want to do. Right. And I'm not expecting that everybody who comes to see a show in Okotoks is going to leave there saying, I want to be an actor. But maybe it might inspire them in some facet, either to be involved in a the community theater or go see more theater or um, support theater in other ways. Maybe this show will inspire somebody who is a baby boomer It's like... I'm going to go look through all my old photo albums because this brings back so many memories of when I was growing up and the fashion and the music and whatever it may be. That's always my hope when people go see theaters, that they just leave inspired.
0: Okay. Do you think that anybody will leave inspired to put on a morph suit and be somebody (laughs) else?
3: I sure hope so because (laughs) Anne-Marie kills it.
1: (laughs) I want them to walk out saying that was a great Night, we didn't have to spend like thousands of dollars to go to the Jubilee or to go to a movie. Movies are really expensive now, and you know, and to be able to say, Hey, we went to this old church, and these people put on a great show. We had uh, so much fun as a date night, as you know, taking our kids out to something funny or our parents, or I can remember doing shows at like Thanksgiving time and kind of saying, hey, if you have company coming, bring them to the show. Like you're doing something within your community. It supports your local community and it's entertaining. And I just want people to walk away and be kind of surprised. That was better than I thought it was going to be. Or I didn't know, like we had these kind of people here and Maybe a business will say, hey, I got an idea like that prop was amazing. Where did you guys get it? Like, I'm going to use that as a promotional tool in my store or whatever. You know what I mean? Maybe like that kind of plays off what you're saying about being inspired, right? So maybe the same idea, just having a great time, walking away, going, being surprised and maybe get an idea that, hey, let's go back to community theater and give some other people a try. You know, that's awesome.
0: So 30 years later, you're doing this show again. It's not for a dinner theater this time. Everyone's in pews (laughs) at church. (laughs) And so (laughs) it's a little bit different. Take that with a grain of salt. But what would present day Brad go back and tell 30 years earlier Brad about the show that you have learned as a more seasoned director as a more capable eye and a person with a great deal more acuity and knowledge from the things you've done since
2: i would go back to young brad and say have more fun this show is so you wouldn't fun. have said like
0: buy bitcoin like, <laughs> <you're> like well, <laughs> no you know what i don't still don't understand bitcoin so you don't need to <laughs> Thank you. But going back to <laughs> 1980s Brad.
2: Yeah. No, I would say have way more fun. The show is so fun and I think I missed out on a lot of opportunities of the humor that is in this script.
0: Oh, okay. So you saw it far too seriously back then? Correct. Yeah. That sounds like any classic 20-year-old. Yeah. And, you know, coming out of university and thinking, "Oh, I'm
2: this is going to be a masterpiece." Yeah. I, I just was way too strict and regimental on how I wanted the show done, and and thinking back to how it was then and the show today, there's so much humor that I missed in that in that first uh, opportunity. So I would go back and say, just relax. Like at the start of all of our rehearsals, I have everybody tell a joke or a funny story. Oh, nice! So we can get into that humorous, humorous mood, lighter mode, and. I haven't laughed so much in the last few months. Than last in, few years, well, I haven't last laughed a lot in the last few years. But yeah, it's it's been a a great rehearsal process for me because I get to spend two hours just laughing.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Wow, what a great rehearsal process that is. So, the, my next question is: What challenges have you faced? to put bring this show to light and it sounds like none no challenges at all everybody's just having a great old (laughs) time and laughing and joking and
2: i'll tell you that the challenges i've found is i decided not to have a set but just like little set pieces right and lots of props right finding the props and little set pieces and actually getting to rehearse with them was scary
0: do you have a props uh, master, or
2: we have a props master? But because I wanted it cartoonish, right? We had to either source out or build wow. props that looked like cartoon style Things. pieces. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was difficult to find stuff. Yeah. And the set pieces are going to look amazing. I don't think we've rehearsed with them yet, and we move into the theater on Sunday.
0: Wow. I mean, you don't want to break them. So well, that well, I think that was the the, thing.
2: the two artists that we have doing them. That was one of their concerns. Yeah. is they'll get broken. We'd rather just take them right to the theater. And right? I'm like, we want to rehearse with them so we know what we're doing with them. Fair. Because there's the car chase scene. Yeah. And the mountain scene where they
0: have all of Tech Week for that. You'll yeah.
2: That's what Tech Week sure for is those things. <laughs> so, <that's laughs> but the, that is a challenge. That yeah. is the biggest challenge I've found with the show. The all the acting and the bits that we've created are working wonderfully. It's the set pieces and the props and lighting. I don't, if the vision in my head, I don't know if it's going to work until we actually see it on, wow. on stage with the, the freeze. So and there's the some big risks
0: so. that are leading into tech tech week. Yeah. They've definitely kept you up. Yeah. And doubtlessly the sound effects are also la- layered in there too, with uh, some concerns considering it sounds like you've had to, Go and get those yourself.
2: Yes, and the sound effects—we've been working with those a lot longer than than anything. Because as soon as we find them, we wound we put them them in, in, bring them in right away. That's not the scary part. uh, (laughs) It—I'm confident with the with the sound effects right now. But but it was a challenge. It was definitely a challenge. Yeah, because we would just say something off at the side, like "This is what's going to happen here." But yeah. th- then when we finally get the music or the sound effects or it it adds so much. That's great. But yeah, it really does. The lights are, are scaring me too. Wow. I'm gonna be
0: scared. We might be reblocking
3: this whole yeah. show, uh <laughs>
0: This come is, monday
3: again after tech week what are the yeah. biggest challenges work well, that's
0: one of those great things is like you okay it's either challenges that you foresee but it sounds like you've been definitely been thinking about them a lot as you go up to them a lot but the, <sighs> the tech week is oftentimes where the biggest challenges yes. come to light when a whole bunch of pieces like your set pieces and probably some of your props that are more fragile are generally not even touched until such time as actors are on stage working with them and trying to navigate around them and there's so many costume changes like oh, wow. quick cho- costume changes especially yeah. for Anne-Marie especially for
2: Anne-Marie well, for Anne-Marie. <laughs> well she does actually she puts on things and becomes things That's amazing. So, yeah. so it's kind of Nice, but yeah, Dan, because we're even changing his makeup. Wow! During his scene changes, so we hope we have enough time in between the, Goodness the, me. the changes. Who's your makeup artist? Claire Hoyer, and we've seen all the hair and makeup, but we don't know if they can get into it that quick. So it's oh my, that whole tech week is going to be a challenge.
0: It's not two days a week, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> no. It starts Sunday,
0: and here we go. How many production team meetings have you had? Are they been ad hoc, or are they been pretty regular? Yeah, no, no, we've only had about three. I would think. Oh, wow, the, the total.
2: But I do want to say that a lot of the production team shows up for rehearsals. Oh, that's great. So. We don't really need to schedule a meeting because
0: no. they're there, and we can just bring
2: up any any concerns or questions we have at that time. Wow, that's up. great! So,
0: do you use a program to keep things on track, to keep things going for your production team, or is it just largely emails and word of mouth?
2: Largely emails, and then while we're at the rehearsal, we'll bring up any concerns or well, oh, okay. That, when's this piece coming? We need to work with it, or have you have you found anything? So, wow, yeah.
0: How about for you? What are the biggest challenges for the show for from yourself as an actor's perspective for for finding Rosemary or just in the process itself?
3: I agree with Brad in that it's a lot of the technical stuff that is nerve wracking, I think, you know, especially for Brad as a director, but also as an actor, because you don't have these uh, some of these items that you don't know if you're going to fit. Behind this car and or how am I going to hand this off or not having a great rehearsal space to be able to place like we're kind of like just dropping props here as we go backstage and throwing this here in our rehearsal hall, because not we don't necessarily have here's where this is going to be kept. So kind of now we're just throwing things there, and then oh wait, where's where did this go? Where did this go? Somebody moved it there to get to this. Pulled this out to get to that. <laughs> so those kinds of things are a bit challenging. Just kind of piecing things together, but also for tech rehearsals, I'm in my in my former career <laughs> as a dancer and a singer, we, I'm used to twelve hour tech days, like easy, right? That was like that was just expected twelve hour days. But then tech you're
0: getting days. paid for that. Mm-hmm. what the heck no one should how can they people
3: yeah yeah maybe (laughs) you're
0: paid in the experience right
3: yeah there's 10 more girls in line waiting to get your job
0: we can't wait for you to go inspire another generation (laughs) to give us 12 hours for tech
3: (laughs) yeah so yes and no it was part of our contract that we were already paid to be there right in those tech rehearsals for that period of time but the also a lot of those shows that i was in was far less technical than this show as far oh, wow. as t- t- timing like yeah. t- timing is everything in the show so the timing has been sounds. one of the elements
0: for you is
3: it's been fine in rehearsals it's just like mm-hmm. well we kind of just kind of get through what we need to get through in rehearsals and we'll figure it out once we get in the actual space with the actual lighting and the actual proper set set location whatnot. and yeah but that's exciting to me like i love tech week mm-hmm. i love tech week i could be in rehearsal all day every day tech week all day every apparently day. Like, 12 hours yeah and i'm like oh wait, i have to go home now oh man but that's the exciting part to me It's that problem solving right. working those details out right and then getting it to the point where it's either like okay that's not going to work something else needs to happen or yes we fought really hard for this to work and it worked and it turned out great.
0: That's awesome. Challenges for the shadow?
3: Because the shadow isn't
1: written into the script, like the shadow doesn't exist in the script. It's something that was kind of born out of what Tracy's imagination was and then what Brad's imagination is in terms of, oh, there's all these parts I can put the shadow. So, I mean, there's always the challenge of creating apart like where right. can you be what can you have in your hand what kind of prop can you you know and it was like oh like i can be the radio i can be a converse force field i can be a road like
0: you're uh, all of the special <laughs> effects in the movie <laughs> kind of yeah like there are so many things that happen in the movie that you would not be able to do in the play especially at the R pack.
2: oh yes we can
0: that, that <laughs> now you can <laughs> And with the shadow, I think that enables a great deal of creative license and also creative expression. So I think it's a pretty cool way to meet that challenge Mm -hmm. and exceed it by having someone like Anne-Marie, who I know very well is great at prop work already because I was in Beauty and the Beast with Anne-Marie and she was one of the best puppeteers. She's a great puppeteer.
1: That that was a great day, wasn't it? That was was a great day.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it was a good Bunch of days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. I was just thinking of the puppet workshop specifically. that I didn't get to go to that. You I didn't? wasn't
0: part of the puppet workshop. Oh. No, because I was the dame. I didn't have a puppet. So they didn't need me that day. So oh, I, I, I it... showed up and then went home.
1: Aww. Yeah. That sucks.
0: Oh, well, it was fine for me. I'm glad that you guys all had a great time and it really bonded the whole puppet team together. Right. Yeah. And bounds. But nonetheless, I digress. What's one thing that you think the audiences might overlook? That you're super excited about in the show that you could tell them on this podcast and then they would go into the show armed with a bit of foreknowledge that they could look for this one thing that they might not see. I always liken it to, you know, in some of the other productions I've been in, there's two secondary characters that meet, fall in love, and they're standing next to each other holding hands at the end of the show. And you don't really notice that unless you're in on it or you're you're related to one of those two people that you'd be looking for them. What's something that happens in this show kind of off to the side or secondarily that's been added in that audiences might not check, might not notice?
3: That's That's a tough one. There's not a lot of subtlety in this show. <laughs> Fair. It's pretty obvious, all the jokes, which I think is part of the point. I don't think there's anything that we really whisper in this show. But it doesn't have to be something that's whispered.
0: It could be something that while everyone's looking at that, what there's something else that's happening as well. You, know, you can see, like, pay attention because the lead though the guy who's doing the six roles, uh, his leave taking in this one moment, he's back 20 seconds later and a, he's in a completely different costume. So be think like that's something that audiences might not catch as well. There are things that happen in every show that the audience won't get a chance to see because there's a it's not a huge stage it's true over at the RPAC, <laughs> but, I'm just thinking like in Twelfth Night, you, people might not have noticed the one character creeping along behind the fence at one point. There are always times and moments in a show where something's happening and the audience is looking somewhere else.
2: I don't want to give anything give away. It away. I, I, give it away. I'm not going to. Absolutely give it away. Totally give it it'll, away. it'll ruin the whole moment on stage. I doubt it will. <laughs> no, it will. But at the end of the show. Yeah. When the... What is it? The first and third bullets are rubber, and the, all the gunfire starts happening. Just watch at the end, at the shadow.
0: All right, pay attention to the shadow at the end of the production while the bullets are flying.
1: Oh, it's just like why? What am I doing? There we go. That's perfect. <laughs>
0: yes, because you pr- you might not notice that, right? You might not notice yeah. that. Okay, anything That's else? That's a good one.
1: It's like for me, like when Kelly, when you're laughing. You like there's so many moments, not even when you're laughing, there's just so many moments where you're like, hmm, or like you make these little noises or these facial expressions that I'm like, I see them because I'm watching you. But if somebody happens to be looking at, say, like Dave or looking or whatever, they're going to miss it because it's like but Kelly's face right there or Dave's face in that scene, his eyes are like whatever. <laughs> like to me, yes. it's like, I think those, like, those are the little moments. Like take the time to once in a while, focus on just one actor that's on stage and just look at their facial expression or the way they're standing or whatever, because that's always Those subtle things that as actors, we all put in uh, when we're reacting to somebody else or whatever. And you're like, God, I wish, I hope people saw that look on your face or that they noticed that little hmm or whatever after your deranged laughter <laughs> that I'm like That's I hope perfect. people catch
3: that because it's amazing
0: that is exactly what I'm looking for is if is there anything that you might add to that as well
3: there's so many gems there's just so many gems in the show and things that we notice That are
0: they synthetic gems though <laughs>
3: Absolutely! Oh, no, the synthetic. Synthetic. <laughs> synthetic. Yes. Um, Is there a
0: Spence Diamonds like you- <laughs> sponsorship? Okay, so we brought that up in one of the rehearsals because
2: <laughs> I'm trying to suck every last joke out of this show, right? And I thought there's so many Spence Diamond commercials on the radio. Right. There always are. We got it, but we didn't.
0: Yeah, synthetic Yet. diamonds. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but they don't do that anymore. So. Uh,
3: one of Dan's characters, he plays a waiter
1: <laughs>
3: in the Carlton tea room. And the he's basically acting as a waiter, but also acting as someone who needs to set up the stage for the next scene. So he's setting up the table and he's putting all the things that would be on the table and the teapot and whatever. And so there's pay, pay close attention to how he sets that table. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Because there's one thing particularly at the end that will just make people kind of do a facepalm. (laughs)
0: that's awesome see these are the things and you always tell your friends about them after the show you're always like did you see when he did the thing and and they're like "Uh, no and you're like oh damn Uh, I'll come back again and then they never do Uh, Dan is the waiter too there's something that happens that you guys probably
2: haven't seen it because it's happening while Bullshot and Rosemary are talking at the table and Dan's waiting to come over the waiter's waiting to come over to to offer them the menu and he he's got an iron so he's got like a old 19, right? <laughs> I 20 saw there.
1: that the well, other day at rehearsal. I was like, wait a minute. When he's
2: setting the table up. Right. While he's waiting to come over and these guys are having their conversation, he picks it up and starts ironing his, <laughs> his ironing his shirt. shirt and then he irons his.
1: I noticed funny. that. I was so, like, that looks like it could possibly be very painful. <laughs> I would think it would be extremely <laughs> painful. It's, it's quite
2: funny. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen it. I'm just watching them. He's got some good little bits. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: I think people just have to come and see the show twice just so you can catch all of the things that we're doing. Sometimes it happens so fast. Sometimes, and that's just the way it is. There's so much happening. It happens so fast. And then you'll sit there with your friends afterwards going, well, did you see? Well, no, but because during that I was watching that person do this and, and, you know, the shadow is just standing there. I was expecting them to do something and they're just standing there and it's annoying or whatever, right? Like, this is one of those shows and I'm like... You might just have to come twice and come check it out again.
3: (laughs) And even last night at rehearsal when we're still adding jokes last night during notes, Brad says, I feel like we're we're missing a joke here. I feel like there could be a joke here that we're missing and then he explained what he was thinking and then he says do you think that's too much and then we all at the same time said no
0: (laughs) that's what you want i know
3: (laughs) at this
1: point i don't think there is a too much i think we're past too much
0: (laughs) that's hilarious What I will say, though, is that the effort and the love and the dedication that the three of you are just showing for this production is not too much, and that this is the perfect time to go out and see live theater. There are a lot of great shows coming up right now at a time when there's not a lot of streaming shows that are being released and broadcast and put out. This is the perfect time to go see theater live right now. October 20th is when this production begins. It only runs until November 4th in Okotoks at the RPAC. Tickets are very, very reasonable for the laughs per minute that you will have in this production. Thank you so much, the three of you, for coming today. Thank you for all of your hard work and effort that seems to have gone into this production. I can't wait to see it. I hope those that are listening can't wait to see it as well. And then we'll all sit down and talk about all the things we missed in this very busy, very complicated show with a pedigree going back to the 1920s. A hundred years later, this sort of thing is still in existence. That's pretty cool. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thanks for having me. Thank
3: us. you. Thank you.